Making it in business isn't about spreadsheets, this or that. It's about guts, tenacity, and above all, street smarts. Join Sarah Shaw as she talks with successful entrepreneurs about all the hard-won lessons they've learned on the mean streets of the business world. If you've ever felt stuck, stifled, or even just scared to get out there and make your mark, you'll learn how even the most successful entrepreneurs overcame failure and found the power to move forward. So forget about learning about business in school, because all you need to make it big is a street smart MBA. And here's your host, Sarah Shaw. Hey there, Sarah Shaw here with another episode of Get a Street Smart MBA. And I have a really interesting guest today. So um, I actually saw them on Shark Tank a while ago and have sort of been following their career. And Glossé Cryotherapy was co-founded by Skylar Scarlett, who we're going to be talking to today, and his sister Brittany. And it's a science-backed, quick, cutting-edge designed recovery and performance center that focuses on helping clients and members achieve their pain management, workout recovery, fat loss, woohoo, beauty and health and wellness goals. And they've been featured on CNBC, in Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazines, and they've appeared on Shark Tank, which we're going to chat about today, and even basketball star LeBron James and uh, consultant and coach Tony Robbins are big fans of cryotherapy. So Skylar, welcome. Really glad to chat with you today. Yeah, thank you, Sarah, um, and thank you for the great introduction. Oh, sure thing. So, you know, this is not your typical, you know, fashion or accessory product type thing that people just go into a store and buy. This is a business that you guys have are building and have been building, and it's a place that people come, you know, to your location, right, to experience the cryotherapy. So let's talk a little bit about what it is and how in the world you guys came up with this idea. Yeah, so you're correct. I mean, we're a total service-based business, and the idea basically kind of fell into our laps. Um, my sister and I, I was just at a college with a degree and was thinking about, you know, what's my, my path going to be in life? Am I going to go do more schooling? And my sister's husband actually brought the idea of cryotherapy to me because he knew I had a background in exercise physiology. And when I looked into it, um, you know, I, I think I had the same reaction that most people have when they first see it, you know, like, oh, my God, what is this thing? Like, freezing people? Are you kidding me? <laughs> but when I really, really dug into it, I saw Olympic athletes, NBA players doing it, and they were swearing by it, saying how much they liked it, how much it helped their, you know, performance and their recovery. And digging a little deeper, I saw an aspect of pain management there. Um, people could actually reduce their inflammation and have a lot of a lot less aches and pains. So that really caught my attention. So I, you know, I did my research. I tried it, loved it. Um, had my sister try it. She loved it. All my friends tried it. So everybody that I brought to try it loved it. The problem was it was really difficult to find it. Um, when I tried it, I had to really hunt down a location. And there was maybe two places in all of California that offered it back in 2013 when I was trying it. And then only maybe 15 in the whole country with most of the locations in Texas. So it was wow. really, really new when I found out about it. And so what, what was it about it? I mean, besides, you know, I mean, you mentioned that one of the highlights for you was that it helped with pain management. Was that something that you had studied in college and were thinking about going into something like that? 
Yeah, I think, you know, I wanted to do physical therapy and help people, you know, with pain and help them after surgery. And just, you know, growing up and just seeing, you know, how we have a huge co-epidemic in our country and, you know, looking for more natural solutions, how quick it is, it, you know, it really struck, struck me with like, wow, this is only a couple minutes, um, you know, and it makes sense. You know, I think cold, you know, people don't like cold. <laughs> Who likes being mm-hmm. cold? But, um, it's right. Very, very I don't even like putting a cold pack on if I hurt myself. <laughs> right? Yeah. See, like, nobody likes cold. Everybody's fine with heat. But um, people are just, uh, you know, no one wants to be cold. But it's very therapeutic. And, you know, we've been using cold therapy for thousands of years. Like you said, you know, when you get hurt or, you know, what do people say? Put an ice pack on it. It's just a mm-hmm. standard phrase. And there's a reason right. behind that. It's because it feels better afterwards. And, um, you know, there's real science behind why cold can help reduce aches and pains, and it's all related to inflammation. And so how did it, how did it sort of morph into, like, fat loss, beauty, and health and wellness? So it morphed into that. Um, basically, cold is more than just helping with pain. I mean, it's, it's really cool science behind it. it actually, um, cold can help produce collagen which is the main protein in your hair, teeth, skin, and nails. So if you produce more collagen, that's a good thing for, you know, the way your body looks. And then wellness-wise, um, you know, there's studies about, you know, your, your immune system, things like that. Um, you know, one thing that we weren't expecting, but, you know, after running close to 40,000 sessions, we found that majority of our clients sleep better. Um, you know, why is that? Maybe it's because they have less aches and pains and they feel more comfortable, so they're getting better sleep. But regardless, if you can help people sleep better, they're going to feel way better. They're going to have a better quality of life. And then such things as, you know, mood. Even for me and my sister, one of our, you know, favorite benefits of the therapy is that when you get out, you just feel incredible because you go from sub-zero temperatures to room temperature, and it's quite a feeling. Nothing's wet mm. on you. You're completely dry. So it's really a rush. It's hard to explain unless you try it. And for me and my sister, it's a, it's a mood boost for about 30 minutes, and we really enjoy that aspect of it. <laughs> Sounds great. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, kind, of, kind of like a running high or something. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, the, yeah. the high you get after a workout or a nice run times 10. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so funny when you were talking about how, you know, being in really cold climates is good for collagen and everything. All I'm thinking about is like, people who live in the Arctic or Eskimos or something and how they must yeah. have really beautiful skin, right? Because they're always out in this cold environment. You no, know, exactly, right? There's, there's really cool science, right? Even like Colorado, right? It's one of the healthiest states. Now, a lot of that has to do with the elevation, but a big part of it too is the, the cold temperatures they have there. So there is a lot of science, um, especially in you know, Eastern Europe. They use the cold to their advantage a lot. Hmm. In Siberia. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> there you don't have to how you yeah, they, they could put you out of business. Um, yeah, you know, I'm okay. I, I'm glad they're doing it. So if it's exactly. free, take advantage of it. Right. Um so so you guys did you guys have any business background at all when you launched into this company or were you just like, Hey, let's do this, we'll just learn along the way? Zero, nothing. Um, you know, I hardly even took any business courses in college. And, you know, my family, I don't have, you know, people that own their own businesses or anything like that. So it was completely new to us. Not, we had to learn, me and my sister had to learn everything on the go. 
and we also had to learn how to navigate through an entirely brand new industry at the same time. Mm-hmm. How did you even get this thing built? I mean, you just call like cryotherapy.com and order one, or did you have Good to? question, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> honestly, looking back, um, you know, when we were doing this, there was only two machine manufacturers in the whole country. That's it. So it was like flip a coin, which one do you want to use? And we had um, decided we were going to buy a certain product from Europe. You know, Europeans are always kind of ahead of us on a lot of things. Mm. And cryotherapy mm-hmm. was a little bit more mainstream in Europe. You know, if, if there was, you know, 15, 20 in the U.S. when we were about to do it, maybe there was 100, 150 in Europe. Wow. So the, the manufacturers were coming from Europe. And the day before we were going to find it, you know, put down the kind of money that could buy you a nice car, my sister actually found a brand new company based in the U.S. who saw the potential of this and decided they were going to build a unit in the U.S. and really help grow this industry. And before we signed that contract, we flew to San Diego to try this new unit, and right away we knew this was the right way to go. So sometimes luck just finds you. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. Um, you know, one of the things I think is so interesting in business is really if you look back at how you start businesses or, you know, even 10 years from now, you you could look back and say how much of my business came from luck, you know, whether it was right place, right time, or, you know, you being the first to, see, you know, see the future of something or invent something that's completely new, you know, um, and I think luck does have a lot to do with things, you know, with people and, and their successes. Oh, yeah, I agree. And, I, you know, some people might be mad at me when I say this, but I didn't argue it's as much as 70 to 80% with a catch. Um, you know, mm-hmm. great entrepreneurs, smart people take advantage of luck. They yeah. Take advantage of it. If you don't, it's worthless. Because every day, right, we have good luck, we have bad luck, things we can't control. Mm-hmm. We let the bad luck things ruin our day do we take advantage of the good luck things? And that's part of, right. I think, successful entrepreneurs is they take advantage of the opportunities, that luck that comes into their life. Yes. Well, and then the biggest part is being, you're having your eyes open enough to realize that the luck is staring you in the face. Yeah. I think a lot of people ignore it, you know, or don't, or say, I can't afford it, or yeah. I could never do that, you know. Exactly. Um, they don't have the being, the biggest mm-hmm. problem. Yes. Yeah, confidence is, I just wrote about that on my Facebook page today. <laughs> confidence. Find your confidence. Yeah, yeah it's, it is. And it's funny. I mean, I never thought that I would be an entrepreneur, even though I'm fourth generation in my family, maybe more, but that's all we can go back. Unlike you, right? You said nobody yeah. works for them, has their own business. But I never thought in a million years I'd be an entrepreneur. And, you know, and then when, when you start to be one, you realize how important that confidence level is First of all, in yourself, right? You have to have that confidence in yourself to, you know, be able to pick up the phone or email somebody or ask for help or whatever yeah. it is. And and sometimes that can be the biggest obstacle, you know, to get over in the beginning. I think it's the biggest barrier to being an entrepreneur. Um, and I see mm-hmm. my family and friends, they just, I it kind of, I'm shocked. I'm like, they have no confidence at all. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times really smart people, really talented people, but they just have no confidence that they can achieve things that, you know, are a little out of their comfort zone. Yeah. Do you find that they don't have confidence in you or didn't in the beginning? 
I don't think, um, you know, we have a great support system and a, a great family. I think they all thought we were crazy. Yeah, um, well, of course. <laughs> like, you know, are you serious? Like, you have no business background. You're going to start a business that doesn't exist. You're going to freeze people where clients going to come from. Like, this is going to be a disaster. I think most people gave us three months. And even that, you know, they were encouraging us, like, um, you know, supporting us. And, um, you know, we had a lot of help in our family when we were starting to save money. But, no, I don't think anybody, even, you know, they're like, yeah, you know, good job, like, good for you. But I don't think anyone thought we were going to last more than three months. Um, maybe mm-hmm. my dad thought we would. You know, he's a little bit more, um, you know, he really liked the idea. But I think everybody mm-hmm. else besides my father thought, okay, guys, um, you know, three to six months, have your fun, you'll learn a little bit, and then you can move on. Right, go get a real job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I mean, so many entrepreneurs I talk to, you know, over the last 20 years even that I've been in my own businesses that, you know, say, oh, my gosh, you know, I always thought my family would be and my friends would be my biggest supporters, but they're actually the people who are trying to deter me from my goals, right? And I always say to people, well, it's usually because they're just trying to protect you from yourself, you know, thinking that you're making a mistake, you know? Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. It's not like they want you to do bad. They're just, they're afraid, right? They don't want to see you yeah. get hurt. I saw with my own family. Right. They just were, I could see they were worried, just worried yeah. about us. Um, you know, we don't want yeah. you to get hurt. And even then, right, it's funny, like, if you ask your family and friends, of course they're going to be, they're going to be customers and clients. They're going to support, right? But when we opened, none of them were there doing cryo sessions. Yeah. You know, it's like, they're not, they're not your paying customers. So it's funny. I feel like, you know, it never take, you give an idea until someone's willing to actually pay you for it don't believe they're actually going to be your customer or client. Right. Yes. Very good advice. Yeah, I know. Cause you're probably, I would have been like, all right, I need all of you outside making a line, you know, I need it to look like there's a line to get in there. Yeah. Um, yep. Cause I, yep. you know, I remember when um, sprinkles, the cupcake place opened in Los Angeles and it was the biggest, you know, I, I don't know, to me, it was like the biggest opening of anything I'd ever seen in my life. And for, you know, I don't know how they did it, whether they got people, you know, that friends of theirs to come and make a line so that everybody walking by in Beverly Hills was like, what's the line for? You know, I want to get on it. Yep. And, um, and I just, you know, I think it took like two years before I ever tasted one of their cupcakes because I was never willing to stand on line. <laughs> no, you're right. Um, um, psychology is so important. I think one reason we've been successful, my sister and I, is we're really good with psychology. And that's mm-hmm. important because when you're selling something that scares people, sure. you better make them feel comfortable. Um, and you better, you know, make sure you explain everything correctly. Otherwise, they're never going to give you a chance. So we, right. you know, we really get it sells because we're really understanding of psychology. Just like mm-hmm. you mentioned with the long lines and the appearance and mm-hmm. all that. Right. Yeah, it's creating that hype so people want to know what it's about. And, and like you're saying, making them feel comfortable so that, they want to do it and then tell a friend and send a friend and, you know, and then it's just a big game of telephone at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about you guys going on Shark Tank and, and what, you know, what made you decide to do that? Um, and then, and what happened on, on there that helped your business move forward? Yeah. So with Shark Tank, I think it comes back to that confidence factor we talked about, right? I never think I can't do something or something can't happen. So Awesome. Even though you know, my sister was like, there's no way we'll even hear back from him. Like, you know, my sister was more of a fan of the show before I was. 
But I watched, you know, a couple episodes. I said, this is right up our alley. Like, you know, we've only been open for a few months, but why not, right? There's no harm. And right. so we sent an email to Shark Tank, and literally 30 minutes later, we got a phone call. It was that quick. Wow. That quick. And I think we really just, you know, they said, wait a second. You know, there's siblings. They're in their 20s. They're freezing people. Wait a second. we got to talk to these. you got to talk to them. <laughs> right. So, Excellent television. Yeah. <laughs> Um, my sister did the phone interview, and she was great. You know, talked to her like an hour, and they were really into it. So I think they passed this on to the next round. Shark Tank is a series of rounds that you have to make the cut mm-hmm. for. It's incredibly difficult and long, um, and you put a lot of time into it. So the whole process is probably a year. It's really that long. And so we made it to that next round, and then the big round is really you make a, a video, and, you know, maybe – 20,000, 10,000 people are making this video, and they're going to narrow it down to 1,000 or 2,000 people. So you've got to stand out. So I kind of, you know, I, I used to write movie scripts. Um, it was kind of a hobby of mine. So I kind of wrote a script for how could we be creative and stand out. And, you know, it started with me jumping out of the crowd on it, like a jack-in-the-box with it on. So it was really <laughs> eye-popping. I mean, really, you, you caught your attention. You couldn't, you know, stare away from this video. And then we had so much energy and just talking about, you know, how well we were doing and all the business. And um, I think they ate it up and they moved us on to the next round and, you know, weeks and weeks of phone interviews. And they're very secretive. You know, it's never like you've made it onto the show. It was like, okay, well, you're flying down to, you know, Culver City, Los Angeles. Maybe it'll be on. And that's the whole game. It's just Mm -hmm. uh, of, of secrecy, basically. Right. Lots of layers. Yeah, lots of layers. Yeah. Uh, well, so talk a little bit about, you know, I know Barbara made you a deal for 30% of your business, and you ended up in the end, you took it right on the show, but then in the end it didn't end up happening, um, which often happens a lot. Um, and I think people don't really realize, you know, how many deals go south on the back end. Um, but talk a little bit about, you know, why you decided – not to do it, and how just being on the show has really helped your business. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, even myself, my confidence factor, I wasn't really expecting any offers. Um, I was being kind of realistic. I just was hoping that we would appear good. Um, You know, very early on, um, small company with small numbers in a small town. And so just getting that offer was, I couldn't even believe it. I think it was hard for me to even talk on the show. I was just shocked. I'm like, wait. Like, you know, nobody thought we were going to get an offer. I didn't you want us? Yeah. I didn't even tell my sister this. You know, I told my sister, oh, sure, we can get offers. You know, we got this. But in my back of my head, I'm like, there's no way, right? Yeah, right. No way we get an offer. And when we did, I just was shocked. And afterwards, I was a little surprised by the whole um, due diligence thing. It wasn't, um, in my opinion, uh, a real investor to do due diligence, in my opinion. We didn't really have much contact with Barbara. But, um, you know, I think that at the time we probably were not ready for an investment. So I think she made, mm-hmm. you know, a wise choice not, like, really pursuing it to a full degree. We were just too early, and we had a lot to figure out. And for us, um, you know, at the time we were trying to do one more location at SS. And looking back, it just doesn't even make sense. You know, we want to scale this thing and do a whole lot more. But luckily for us, um, the real big, you know, breakthrough for us in the show was that a major fitness club chain saw the segment, invited us into their club. And that's important because on the segment, you'll hear Mr., um, you know, 
Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, he'll mm-hmm. say, you have nothing proprietary. And he was right. And, you know, I don't really have too much trouble with that. I mean, very few things are really proprietary, especially mm-hmm. in the service-based business. It's just really rare. And then sure. if you have proprietary stuff, it's like um, if you're a small company to actually take someone to court if they're stealing your idea, it's almost impossible. So it always kind of makes me laugh when, you know, young entrepreneurs think they can't do something if they don't have a patent or they, you know, don't have something proprietary. But by going to the fitness clubs, I realized, wow, like this club has, you know, 700 fitness clubs. Um, you know, if we're the only ones going in there, um, you know, that's in a way proprietary. You know, that's all right. Who cares about so, all the other people? <laughs> yeah, right. Me sure. Right? Yeah. You know, I, I wanted more people to enter the industry as long as they were going to do it right. More people creates more awareness. So mm-hmm. it never bothered me. At the end, you know, customers come to the company that does it correctly, gives you the best experience right. with the pricing. So for me, I'm like, wow, like we have so much more now than we ever could have presented on Shark Tank. Like if we went back now, man, we would just kill it. Uh, right. You know, what we have now. <laughs> So I, it blows my mind, but um, that's how it goes. And so we completely pivoted just because, you know, we had a nice standalone model, but um, we realized, like, going into the fitness club, there was a way to, you know, the number one thing for me is I always think of if I was the consumer, what would I want? And I know mm-hmm. for me I want the prices to come way down. Not that, you know, what we do isn't worth it, but, you know, when it's new and there's less people, you're charging a lot more. It's even right. like TVs, right? Brand new TV comes out, they're so expensive, and then when they become more mainstream, they become affordable. So I wanted to get it to a point where people could afford this like a gym membership. That was our goal. And we were able to really bring the prices down. I mean, we're talking about something where in New York they were charging $800 to $1,000 for a month. And we took that price and made it $99 in um, the fitness club when we opened a year and five months ago. You know, people were pissed off, people were surprised, people once again thought we wouldn't make it three or six months. And when we did this, we signed up, I think, 70 people in our first month. Wow. And I mean, just completely changed everything. And, you know, we were in Carmel on our standalone, the most members we ever had was 37. So we doubled that pretty much in our first month of a brand new business in a town we knew no one in, in the right. business club. And before you knew well, it, we were up to 200 members um, at this wow. price point. I mean, really and that's proving in that. New York? Um, no, I mean, we were in um, we're in Silicon Valley, California. Oh, in Silicon Valley. Okay. Yeah. Same thing. Whatever. Different coast. <laughs> more more money in Silicon Valley, right? anyway. <laughs> Both places are way too expensive. I'll tell you that. Exactly. Um, I mean, because being in a fitness club is basically like getting free PR, and it's like having a built-in media house because all the people are already members there and you're just adding an extra service. So it's not like you have to pay for acquisition. Exactly. It's like being in a a super town geared towards our services, right? You know, people Mm -hmm. want to be healthier. They want to look better. They want to, you know, they want the anti-aging. They're already there looking for that. That's why they're, you know, taking care of their bodies. And then uh, once again, it, you know, this is part of being an entrepreneur. We, of course, kind of expected we're in a gym, so workout recovery, you know, not having muscle soreness after workouts, that's where we're going to kill it. That's our market, and we were completely yeah. wrong. <laughs> we were wrong, um, right? We were, this is surprising, but we found out that, you know, being sore, like, you know, it's a luxury not to be sore. People don't mind being sore. It's a luxury. So if you have the money, you'll pay to not be sore. 
but right. you don't feel like you have to pay to not be sore. And so we found out the hard way. Um, our biggest market in the fitness club is pain management because most people working out have some kind of pain that's bothering them. And if they come into our business and we give them less pain, they have better workouts and they see way right. better results. And they're willing to pay for that because nobody wants to have pain. No. <laughs> no, we, we don't. <laughs> Nobody well, I have 14 me. ice packs in my freezer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you think at the fitness club, like being in the Silicon Valley area, you know, where, right, I mean, that's like home to close to Facebook and all the people that probably work there and all kinds of tech people and investors and gazillionaires. Um, do you think that oh, that the beauty and wellness part and the fat burning has a lot to do with the success of it in that particular area. Like if you were to be in Los Angeles, that could end up being a bigger part of a bigger attractor of yeah. your business. I think it'd be way bigger in Los Angeles. Um, the beauty and wellness has really surprised me more so in how much um, our male clients care about beauty and wellness. Huh. You know, when we were, you know, we have, you know, seven services, some are more geared towards beauty and wellness. And I thought these were going to attract more female clients in. And what I noticed is that these services are used just as much, if not more, by male clients. Hmm. Male clients, you know, males really do care about the way they look. <laughs> Even if they don't want to be out there like females are, they care. They care yeah. about the way they look, and they'll pay just as much, if not more. And what's cool about what we do is I think it feels, um, for a lot of males, um, more manly than going into, uh, you know, a female spa where everybody's female and they're like, they're doing a facial as opposed to coming into Glossé where, you know, it's a, it's a cool hip place. We do recovery, we do all these things and you see a lot of males and females and doing a facial in, in our business doesn't deter males. It doesn't mm -hmm. seem so you know, feminine for them to do that. And I've noticed mm -hmm. that. So we do tons of facials every day. We have a LED red light facial and it is used all the time sometimes by people that would shock you. I have MMA fighters, right? You know, who cares what they, what they look like, right? They're doing the facial every day. Yeah. Every day. They care. So wow. So what funny. kind of services do you guys do other than the cryotherapy? Are you so, yeah. facial? Uh, beyond the cryotherapy, we do compression therapy, which is more geared towards workout recovery. We have these sleeves that um, massage you. feels like a deep tissue massage, and it's, it's incredibly popular. You can do it from anywhere from 15, 30 minutes, and you control how intense that massage is. We do LED light therapy on the face for anti-aging. Once again, it produces more collagen. So it has a couple of different light spectrums, one's for acne, one's for wrinkles. We do LED light therapy on the body, which can be really effective for pain. Um, it just kind of mm -hmm. tries to rejuvenate um, damaged cells in the body. Mm -hmm. And then we have electric stimulation, um, a really nice device, um, which causes muscle contractions, which gets uh, more blood flow into muscles, which can help for mm. pain or recovery. And then, of course, we have cryoskin, which is strictly fat loss. Um, we started doing that about six to eight months ago, and it's, I guess people want to compare it to cool sculpting. So it's um, you know designed to freeze fat cells. And so mm -hmm. I, you know... I tell people it's not like you go on the scale and you lose weight like that. It's, um, you know, you, you look in the mirror and you have less fat specific areas. It's really a spot treatment or yeah. spot therapy, I should say. Yeah. Um, did, yeah, I mean, because I've known about like those, you know, freezer 
packs that people put on their belly or something and wear around, you know, to try to freeze their fat. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> that's been around for a long time, I think. But yeah. um, what was I going to ask you? So, um, oh, do do people come to you who have had, like, you know, I don't know, rotator cuff surgery or a knee replacement or ankle surgery or something like that? Does it – do people come post-surgery to help with – you know, like strengthening and rejuvenating their muscles and things? They do. Um, not enough, but, um, you know, I, <laughs> I have a partnership with a plastic surgeon down the street, and he loves the therapy, a big believer. He understands that if he does surgeries and his clients um, have better recovery and they have faster recovery with less pain, they're going to be a happier customer for him. And so he actually just pays for them to come and have a membership and spend, you hmm. know, a uh, really successful partnership for us. And on the other spectrum, you know, people have been referred in after surgery, before surgery, and it, it's a game changer. I think that in the next five to ten years, it could get a whole lot more better. Um, I don't think enough people, I mean, anybody who's getting surgery, it, to me, from my point of view, it's crazy if you're not in our business. Um, you will absolutely improve your recovery dramatically just by standing in something for a few minutes. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you're done and you feel better, you don't have to keep coming and seeing us. You know, we've right. done our job, helped you recover quicker. So it's just um, a no-brainer. And I hope, you know, most more people get into that. And there's a bigger yeah. aspect to that. Sure. Um, so then really being on Shark Tank really did get you guys the notoriety in a sense. I mean, it got you into this gym and got you in front of them so that they could uh, approach you and start a conversation about a future together. Yeah, I mean, it, it changed our life. And once again, you know, um, getting on Shark Tank, you know, yes, we were creative. Yes, we worked hard, but so much of that is luck. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then we went on the show, and of course we prepared, and I think we did a great job, and, you know, I think we looked good on our episode. But once again, after that, you know, yes, the fitness club saw us. That's lucky, but we took advantage of it. You know, we worked out a mm -hmm. contract. That contract took us a whole year to work out. Right. And, and you know, we sacrificed and we did whatever we had to do to get our first location up and running and it's been incredibly successful so when I look to the future I see so much potential for for us and for my sister and I just because you now I've talked to other fitness club chains tons of them they're all interested and for me I always try to look in the future and I say okay five to ten years from now if you are a fitness club owner or fitness club chain and you do not have a wellness recovery center and one down the street does you're not going to have as many members. You are inadequate right. compared to the other one. It's just right. me, I even view it as equipment. It's like every club has, you know, elliptical or has a bench press or a squat rack. If you don't have a crowd chamber, if you don't have the services we provide, huge mistake. So I don't see any possibility where you don't see a bunch of wellness recovery studios or centers or corners, whatever you want to call them, in fitness clubs five to ten years from now. And there's how many fitness clubs in this country so you know, gazillion, me, gazillion, right? I mean, yeah, we are getting really good at something that's super niche. I mean, five years, we've done 40,000 sessions. We understand and know how to sell it. Um, you know, we really know how to do it in fitness clubs, right? Even if we don't have glosses in all these fitness clubs, consulting, being hired by a fitness club, there's just so many paths to being successful and mm -hmm. our goal really is just get this therapy, get these things out to people. 
get them into as many fitness clubs as we can and make it affordable. That's always been our goal. So, you know, how do we do that? And I think we're on the right track for that. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it. I mean, yeah. just getting into one and doing really well, I'm sure they're, you know, getting ready to, if they haven't already made you a deal to start opening in other clubs around the country, you know, it seems like they'd be foolish if they didn't at this point. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, we've been approved for more clubs. I'm actually Los Angeles area, and I think that's a way better market. Silicon Valley is actually incredibly challenging because everything's more expensive. Everything, um, you, you know, all overhead things are, are way more expensive. And then even though we're in, you know, a really rich area, a lot of our clientele are not super wealthy. Um, even the club we're in is one of the more affordable clubs, which I like mm. because we're trying to do mm-hmm. the same thing, make something affordable. So, you know, the gym membership that we have in our club, it's not, you know, a $200 Equinox membership. It's a $40, $30 membership. Mm-hmm. So it's completely different. And, you know, a lot of people that come in, we have members that they leave because they move. You know, they, they get different jobs or, sure. you know, they can't afford the area. And we understand it. It's tough for us. So mm-hmm. it's not like, and I guess I think that bodes well for us going forward because you're not going to look at our location and say, okay, well, they were in Silicon Valley. That's why they were successful. Um, you know, our clientele is going to be kind of the same in every one of these clubs or any club that has a similar price point. Right. Right. Oh, that makes sense. Do you, are, do you guys depend a lot on PR at this point? Um, no. In fact, we built our Carmel location through PR, basically. And um, it's funny how we haven't, but um, we've been so busy, and I don't know um, if we just haven't reached out enough or what, but we haven't had really any news stories in the Bay Area or Silicon Valley. Nothing. And it doesn't seem to be affecting... I mean, you still, you guys are just maxed out in your business pretty much right now. Um, I think we, you know, we have a lot of room for marketing, meaning how do people know we exist and why they need us. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we have tons of members as it is, but we could, you know, always have more. People are not going to do this forever. You know, if they get what they wanted, they stop, and that's fine. Or they move away. You know, service-based business is constantly... You know, how can you get new members and how can you keep members for a certain amount of months? And so we keep our members for a long time, but no one's going to be forever. That just doesn't exist. You know, even for me, I, right. I, you know, I love working out, but I never stayed at a gym, you know, more than four or five months ever mm. in my life. And I'm super dedicated. Mm. So that's no different for us. And I think we have a lot to improve on if we could find um, kind of um, a marketing person to bring on and just kind of educate people on why it's important. Would really mm-hmm. help. Yeah. And does social media play a big role for you guys? Uh, you know, not really. Um, it, it, it hasn't really. You know, my sister's done a great job with it, and she she tries to post regularly and do all that. And we did a lot more in Carmel. And Carmel, I think, was different because it was our hometown, and it was a lot, you know, Carmel's only a population of 4,000. And, mm-hmm. you know, man, our, our fitness club has more people than that in it. So right. it's a, a different <laughs> ball game in, up here in yeah. the big yeah, Silicon Valley. So. You know, what I guess good and bad is we probably haven't done enough. We could do way more. But on the good side, a lot of what we bring in is just organic. Mm-hmm. I mean, they find us online. We open our doors. They're in the fitness club. They see us. Right. So it's good to be able to do it that way. But we could do a whole lot better with, um, you know, a better marketing plan. And our biggest problem for my sister and I is, we, you know, we – we right now we feel like small business owners, but we don't want to be small business owners. We want to, we like being entrepreneurs, we like to scale things and grow them. 
So we're always focused on the next thing, mm-hmm. not the current thing. And so we, you know, unfortunately don't probably give enough focus to our current fitness location because we're always thinking bigger picture. And that involves, mm-hmm. you know, talking to investors, um, you know, working with fitness clubs, all, all the stuff behind the scenes that we constantly have to do. Right. Have you guys taken on any investors yet, or are you still just on your own? Um, we had to for the Mountain View location. Um, you know, uh, we just didn't have the funds to do it. It took a lot longer, and it was incredibly hard to do it. But, um, you know, we got funds for it. And, you know, it seems like you can never have enough funding. So right. I'm always <laughs> every day, every, every, every yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. So the investor is in, invested for you to open in the gym? So we, we took on um, four other investors to help us with the, the fitness club one. Okay. Got it. And so as you expand, in, like, you know, if the gym, want, like you're going to L.A., are you going to have to get another set of investors for that? Or will these same investors, are they happy enough or have enough money, I should say, to keep going with you and grow with you? Yeah, I mean, one location is one thing, but to do, you know, 10 or 20 or 50, you need a lot more funding and a lot more infrastructure. So we probably would need more funding, but we have so many ideas out there. There's even, um, you know, an up-and-coming boutique studio. I I really love it, and they're talking about merging with us because they want to put us in a bunch of their studios. Mm -hmm. And I really like that idea because I think – our path to success is even easier in their boutique studios because our overheads reduced by 60% by going into, you know, their spaces. And then we could still do fitness clubs at the same time. Right. So, you know, we explore all different options, just kind of thinking about, you know, what is the best route for this to, to scale it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think here? I want to ask you one more question, and then I'll let you get on with your day. So what oh, was yeah. the first? Yeah, what was the first biggest mistake that you guys made? Or, you know, or it doesn't have to be the first one, but just like some huge mistake you made that you were like, oh, my God, how are we going to get out of this? And you figured out how to get out of it. Man, we've done that a bunch of times. (laughs) (laughs) That's what everybody says. But, you know, what do you think think is the most interesting or that has the best recovery or something that, you know, that, people find interesting? Well, I'll tell you this. This is, I think, this is awesome. And this is, you know, I think a great entrepreneur thing. Um, So we're, you know, negotiating with this major fitness club chain. And here we are, you know, 25, you know, 30 (laughs) years old. Mm -hmm. And there's just two of us. And I don't think they, I think they thought we were a 10 to 15 person company. (laughs) <laughs> so we're doing phone calls with all their executive team, their lawyers, as we're running cryo sessions in Carmel. And, you know, we're hiring family to fill in for us when we're, you know, you know going down to, to meet with them in person. Mm-hmm. So we're doing this thing to make it seem like we can take on this big endeavor. Because, you know, in my gun thing, the fitness clubs are I call, this can work, this can work. And we don't have the money to do this. You know, I grew up just in a middle-class family. We don't have the funds. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no bank's going to give us any money for this. And so we ended up talking to two guys who came into our carbon location. They saw us on Shark Tank. And they're like, wow, right? And the you know, next thing you know, they're, they're talking about, hey, maybe we can invest in you guys. 
And so they're offering us, you know, somewhere around $2 million. And we're like, wow, $2 million. Now we can do this business club and more, right? This is awesome. Right. And so we're talking to these guys for a pretty long time. And, you know, we think they're on board. And when it finally comes down to, to do the Mountain View location, you know, we don't have the funding for it, but the club needs to see that we do. And we were talking to these guys, and, you know, they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this. And, you know, they were willing to show their bank account. And so that's what got us into Mountain View. And, you know, a week after we showed that account, like, they're like, oh, you know, they, they basically ghosted us, fell off the face of the earth. Really? So we had the money. We're like, oh, man. But, you know, the fact that we were talking with them for so long and they were willing to kind of show their, their funding is what got us the okay to do our Fidipo location. And so it's crazy when you think about it. If we didn't, you know, all that work, we thought, oh, man, what a waste because it didn't go anywhere. We didn't get that $2 million we wanted. But, man, if we hadn't done that, we wouldn't even be here. It's right. crazy to think about. And then afterwards, we did get the funding we needed and had all the funding that we possibly needed for the Mountain View location. But we had to scramble for oh that. But it's crazy yeah, I think that we jumped the gun a little bit, being young, naive, and ambitious, thinking, oh, yeah, you know, deals never fall through, <laughs> but we should have known better, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> uh, we definitely should have known better. And so that is always something that I, it's hard for me to kind of explain that whole situation, knowing that, like, if we hadn't met those two brother investors, man, like, I don't know if we'd even be here. Right. So, it was, I mean, in the end, it was kind of dumb luck that got you It was you into, dumb luck. It was dumb luck. Yeah. I can't think of anyone yeah. else that even in our family could have said, you know, can you show your bank account where they would have approved us. Right. And yet these two brothers found us in Carmel, and after months and months of thinking we were going to work together, a week before we never hear from them again, they at least show their bank account and um, <laughs> get this through the door. And then, you know, we went out there and we, we crushed it. We killed it. And, um, you know, we... We scrambled and we did find funding, but still, it's like it, it blows my mind that it all comes down to something like that. Right. It's like you want to send. You, did you send them flowers afterwards and say thanks for ghosting us? It all worked out really <laughs> I don't well. Even know if, if they know anything, I wonder if they're looking into us. I mean, we've been, you know, so successful. It'd be interesting to to re talk to them again now. But um, yeah, it's uh, you know that's uh, those stories that you just look back at and go, wow. <laughs> Right, and then you must be wondering, I mean, I'm wondering, I don't know if you are, but, you know, like, was that bank account even real, you know? Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> good question, right? I think um, <laughs> because the company we worked with, they have, you know, 40 to 50 lawyers, um, I, I think it was probably real, and, you know, they, they owned a yeah. huge construction group, um, mm. which I'm sure was, was good money. I think that sometimes what you find or we found is you have investors who, not, who aren't really investors yet, meaning... They've been successful in business. They have money, lots of money, and they want to get into investing beyond stock market, but they have mm -hmm. no clue what they're doing. So they get excited right. about ideas. They find, you know, they're in Carmel on vacation, and they find these two siblings who are young and their first business, and, wow, they're talking to a fitness club, and, oh, my goodness, like, we could, you know, be their investors. And next thing you know, they're, they're like, wait a second. Um, you know, we've never done an investment like this. Like, we right. can't do this. Um, you know, yeah. I feel bad. We like these kids, but, you know, and, you know, we stopped talking to them and you feel bad. And I think that's kind of what happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause your business looks sexy, right? The stock market, you sexy. can make money, but there's nothing yeah, sexy it down about to, it. You know, signing off for like, yeah, we're going to give you, you know, $2 million is <laughs> the whole yeah. other thing to actually sign off yeah. on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny when I had my handbag company, 
I had a lot of friends and I had about a quarter million I raised with friends and family and then we needed another quarter million and about, I don't know, a year later and we ended up getting an investment from a big handbag company that sold to Walmart. So they were doing like 80 million a year with Walmart, but they wanted to invest in a higher end, sexier brand and thought that that would be cool, right? I mean, not really. It's not like they needed the money. It was really for the cool factor, right? 80 million a year, I think is pretty good. And um, (laughs) (laughs) I'd be fine with that. And, uh, and so, (laughs) and so they, you know, they ended up investing in my company for quite a while. And, um, and it was just interesting, you know, how, how investors look at different companies and for different reasons, right? It's, Sometimes it's purely the sex appeal of it and, you know, the, yeah. the fun that it might be versus actually caring. I mean, obviously they're not doing it to lose money, but, you know, these guys were making money in construction, you said, right, or the stock market or whatever, and yeah. clearly doing really well, you know. And, exactly. um, and so when you have, you know, a couple million to play with, that's not going to affect your bottom line, right? Mm-hmm. It makes the it makes for a whole different. It gives you a whole different ability to look at what looks fun, you know, versus you, know, you, 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 you know, nailed it a safe investment, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What are they really, yeah. really looking at? Every investor has different criteria for what they look like, and you know, it's funny exactly. that you know we raised funding, but our numbers they weren't really that impressive for investors. And Carmel, Carmel's so small, right? And we did mm-hmm. great. Believe me, we had practically no overhead. And for first-time business owners, like, we did incredible. But it's funny now when I think about the numbers we're doing now compared to when we were in Carmel. It's just it's unbelievable. Right. Yeah, it makes such a difference. Wow. Well, Skylar, thanks for chatting with me. This was really fun. I love yeah, talking I about new businesses. Yeah, I talking to you. So, um, Sarah, yeah, you well, so I really much. appreciate it and can't wait to catch up with you at another time and see how many clubs you're in and different clubs and – all the new things that you guys are coming up with. So I'll catch you on the next one and have a really uh, successful time with this. It's a really cool business. Thank you, Sarah. And uh, hopefully I can get one near you sometime soon. Yeah. Excellent. I'd love it. (laughs) Right? Because I'm in Colorado where everyone's got good cold skin. (laughs) You're right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just the place for it. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks for listening to Get a Street Smart MBA. And we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for tuning in to A Street Smart MBA with Sarah Shaw. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to get the latest episodes anytime, anywhere. And we'll see you on the next one.